Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head and Chamatkar Sandu. I'm over here in Rochester, England. Sandu's over there in Toronto, Canada. And we are stealing ourselves for the biggest fight week of 2020. Now, I know we had Conor McGregor over in January at the start of the year. But this has got a really, really special feel to it. UFC 251. And my goodness me, we've had breaking news all over the place. Jorge Masvidal, game bred, the BMF, stepping in to take on Kamara Usman. We will talk about that on this week's show in depth. Then, of course, there are two other title fights on the card. Alexander Volkanovsky taking off, sorry, taking on Max Holloway and PDN taking on Jose Aldo. We will talk about those two big title fights as well. And we'll round off that main card at UFC 251. We'll also chuck in a few special memories from uh, our respective careers because this week, should be International Fight Week. So we'll we'll look back through uh, memory lane and uh, pick out a few special memories that we've experienced over the course of covering this sport over the last few years. We've got a few. So, but Sandu, first off, it's a big, big week. And uh, Usman versus Masvidal, when that fight was uh, confirmed, when Gilbert Burns fell out, I don't know about you, but I was I was virtually jumping up and down. It's the fight we all wanted in the first place, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, I think what happened was you kind of go through a state of shock initially when it was all kind of developing and all happening and a little bit of scepticism as well, because, uh, you know, as you know, there were so many things that had to have happened. And the, the, the majority of flights or the, the first bulky flight to get the fighters over had already gone. Right. And and Usman didn't get on that first initial flight to, to Abu Dhabi. And so to see then via his manager Malky Cow or one of his managers Malky Cow post these kind of COVID test uh, results uh, or kind of going through the process then he was thinking hang on a second Hawaii is in play here and then obviously as things develop and you know you find out that he's you know they've been negotiating for for a day or two already and they kind of come to terms albeit perhaps not exactly what Jorge wanted but a much better situation and a much better deal than before and then all of a sudden it's all happening and they're on their way to vegas and they're quarantining and doing a covid test and they're flying to yaz island abu dhabi and now they're in quarantine and kind of going through some more tests and i guess by the time folks listen to this they would have started to kind of do their media day cut weight and all the rest of it um just incredible stuff we've, we've been here before a few times uh with a few other fights and a few other events but somehow some way when there's a problem or an issue with a blockbuster event and a main event. Somehow, somewhere, the UFC always seem to pull a rabbit out of the hat. Now, as you alluded to, Simon, is it ideal? No. Would we have liked to have Jorge Masvidal and the UFC just got this sorted out maybe a couple of months ago? Their negotiations and you know make sure the price is right. Of course, you know it'd be nice to say to ourselves, all right, well, Jorge's gonna have a full camp. Right, and he's going to be able to have no excuses if he if he doesn't get the job done come come the weekend. But it's on a week's notice. Um, he has been training, perhaps not in full camp mode, but you know he's he's kept in shape. And I'll tell you what, if he pulls off the pulls off the win and becomes the the new UFC welterweight champion, it'll be up there. It will definitely be up there with Nate Diaz beating Conor McGregor. On 11 days notice, Bisping beating Luke Rockhold on a, on a couple of weeks notice. It'll be right up there and uh, I can't wait to see how this entire quiet week develops. Traffic is through the roof. This is definitely a, a needle moving moment and I think the UFC needed it to be fair. 
especially in this pandemic era, it's been great to get all these fight nights and we've had some amazing uh, contests and some amazing main events and the fighters have definitely delivered. But when you're talking about having a signature blockbuster marquee event on the calendar where you know for a fact that the casual fans, the mainstream audience globally are going to be tuning in this weekend for this fight, that's what we want for this sport. That's what we want as much as possible and as often as possible. We don't always get it at the best of times, let alone during a pandemic, but I'm chuffed that we've got this fight to look forward to on top of what is essentially the cherry on the cake of what is an incredibly stacked card anyway. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, this is a stacked card anyway. You know, we've got three title fights on this card. Obviously, it was going to be Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns, and Gilbert Burns failed his COVID test. And that fight appeared to have been scrapped from the card, at least to start with. Um, as you said, Kamaru Usman did not board the plane, which for me was a bit of a red flag. I thought I, they'll still send him out there if they're going to draft in a replacement. The fact that they didn't made me think, okay, they're going to go with the two title fights. Now, the fact that they've got back around the negotiating table with Jorge Masvidal and his team, and they've made him happy enough to say yes to a short-notice title fight, suggests to me that A, they've offered him a very good deal, and B, they really needed that third title fight. And I think it might well have something to do with the arrangement they have with the Abu Dhabi government, um, who have pulled out all the stops to be able to host this whole operation, the UFC Fight uh, Island operation. It's going to be four events over 14 days. Um, If you haven't seen the UFC's uh, embedded vlog on YouTube yet, I, I implore you to check it out because you get to see the real scale of what is going on over there. And it is over and above anything that I've seen from any other sport. It is, it is next level stuff. Um, check out my colleague, John Morgan on MMA junkie. He's been writing a daily blog, um, talking through his personal experience of being quarantined when he's over there and, and going through the system of, uh, getting through that and seeing the facilities and all the rest of it. It is next level stuff over there. So clearly the UFC wanted to repay the uh, the Abu Dhabi government with an absolute blockbuster of a card. That's why they got Jorge Masvidal and uh, first round management back around the table. And they've clearly thrown some serious, serious cash Masvidal's way um, in order to make this fight happen. And it's a great matchup as well. I mean, it's as a style matchup, I think it's great. Uh, Masvidal predominantly a striker Usman predominantly a wrestler so you've got the clash of styles there you've also got a bit of the old school throwback element with the old teams as well Kamara Usman used to be part of the Black Zillions um, Jorge Masvidal is an ATT man those two gyms down there in uh, in South Florida had a very very famous and uh historic rivalry really down there you know they had a whole ultimate fighter season dedicated to those two teams which Kamara Usman won to get into the UFC so there's a whole load of little backstories that you can sort of you can sort of pick a little avenue from and see there's a lot of history behind this matchup um and then you've obviously got the the stratospheric sort of uh trajectory of Jorge Masvidal uh 16 year career Never really quite broke into that upper echelon. Had 16 months off after back-to-back losses. Then he came back and knocked out Darren Till in London. Then he took on Ben Askren at UFC 239 and absolutely starched him. Fastest knockout in UFC history. 
Then the BMF title. Nate Diaz gets the stoppage win there. His stock has never been higher. And I'm I'm happy for him that he gets to actually cash those chips in. And um, he won't be as unprepared as many people might think, Sandu, because he's living housemate. It's not someone he's just drafted in. This guy has been living with him from the moment he bought his new place that he's living in now is his coach. His, his boxing coach or his striking coach, they have been working out at all hours of the day throughout the pandemic. So this isn't a Jorge Masvidal getting off the couch and just stepping into a title fight. This is a Jorge Masvidal who, okay, he might not be fresh out of a fight camp, but he has been working out during this whole pandemic so expect him to be pretty sharp by the time he gets in the cage on Saturday night. It's a massive fight. I'm really looking forward to it. Give us a way too early prediction, Sandu, because this could this this is a really hard fight to pick. Usman is the champion. He's he's matched every challenge he's faced and has come out of it looking really good. Jorge Masvidal notoriously has blown a bit hot and cold during his career. When he's on, he is as good as it gets. But he does have off days every now and again. Um, and when he loses, he tends to lose on the scorecards. That tends to be how Kamara Usman wins his fights. So how do you see this one? Yeah, it's a tough one to actually think about and digest at this moment, to be honest with you. I'll give you a prediction in a second, but I'm glad that you mentioned Jorge Masvidal's kind of training element. Uh, one other element to that is Bo Nickel. Uh, I'm no big kind of uh, fan or follower of the, the, the US collegiate wrestling scene or anything like that but from people in the media that i respect that do follow um that sport he's meant to be the next big thing and he is already signed with first round management he will be at some stage in his career making a transition into mma he's meant to be like one of the best wrestlers in the world and so for jorge to be working with him jorge actually in my opinion has always had a little bit of an underrated you know wrestling game especially on the defensive side and so it's going to be interesting to see how that you know portion plays out with Kamaru. And Kamaru, you know, to give him credit, he's not just a wrestler. You know, we've seen him kind of really kind of go at it and, you know, trade strikes with Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley. So he's got absolutely no fear in that department. And he's he's got pace for days. He's got cardio for days. And it's going to be really interesting to see if that's what plays a part in this fight, whether it does go into the fourth and fifth rounds and whether the gas tank has a, as an impact on Jorge, again, just taking into consideration uh, how much preparation he's been, been able to put into place for this particular fight. That all being said, my head, Simon, says Kamaru Usman, the guy that's put in a full camp, right? And the guy that's been preparing for this date for a while now. But there's something about Jorge Masvidal and this run he's been on for the last year and a half. And it's eerily rem reminiscent of what Conor McGregor did. And as Conor McGregor was kind of going through the ranks and going through opponents, every time he'd come up against a Dustin Poirier or, you know, a Jose Aldo or an Eddie Alvarez or whoever, right? That was always right. This is, this is when your number's up, mate. This is when, you know, you've been lucky so far. Right, you fluked it, or you somehow, you know, managed to kind of, you know, bypass these fighters, and there was no respect put on his name in terms of his skill until essentially he'd become a two-weight champion, beating Eddie Alvarez, and then, then finally, I felt like any doubters he had, even at that point, 
had finally, you know, shut up about, you know, who Conor McGregor was in terms of his um, athletic ability. Jorge Masvidal, I think he's got a little bit of that going um, for him at the moment. I feel like, he, you know, like you mentioned, the run, right? So the Darren Till KO. Okay, respect, maybe. And, 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 I, and I saw some comments at that time, oh, maybe Darren Till's not, it's not that good enough, right? Then it was the Ben Askren knockout, right? Ben Askren never been defeated in his entire career. He was undefeated up until that moment. And then it was all, it was just a fluke. It was just a... Uh, you know, one of those kind of crazy moments in the sport that he just happened to land the million dollar flying knee and, and that's what it was, right? Again, a lot of people out there just kind of, you know, you know, didn't really kind of give him the respect that he needed for that moment. Then you had the Nate Diaz fight. And then even in that fight, even though we know that Nate's an absolute dog and he's an absolute soldier and a gangster when it comes to what he puts out in the octagon... People just look at his record and then the numbers and say, oh, he's just not he's just not that good, right? And so now I feel like if he can get the win over Kamaru and win that UFC championship, this will be his moment to finally silence any remaining doubters that he has. Yes, prior to the Darren Till KO, you could you know categorize Jorge Masvidal as the journeyman fighter, double digit losses on his record and all the rest, all the rest of it, right? But if he beats Kamar Usman, who's only got one loss on his record, who has a six-plus-year, 15-fight win streak going, it will absolutely legitimize Jorge Masvidal as the best in the world as we speak right now in that weight class. And, and that championship belt, that UFC world title, will signify it. So to put a bow on it for a, a way-too-early prediction, Sai, sorry to sit on the fence, but... My head says Kamaru Usman, but my heart says Jorge Masvidal. There's a something about him. There's this, there's this kind of je ne sais quoi. There's this it factor. There's a something in the air that tells me that he's going to produce something special on Saturday night. And his star power is going to go through the roof once again. Yeah, I've been there and seen this happen in, in real life. And, uh, you know, I was there in... In Inglewood, California, when Michael Bisping got off a movie set and knocked out Luke Rockhold uh, in about three and a half minutes to become the world champion. No one no one thought that was going to happen. But when we got there on fight week um, and we interviewed Bisping on the open workouts, there was something, there was just that sense that, okay, there's something going on here. You just feel it in the air. You know, you know, like when you, you go outside and you know when there's a thunderstorm coming, you, you feel it in the air your spidey senses start tingling and all of that sort of stuff. You kind of felt that there was a, you know, there was a chance we were about to see something special. And that's what we saw that night. And I've got a similar feeling with, with, with Jorge Masvidal with this. I've got all the respect in the world for Kamara Usman because he really isn't getting the plaudits that he deserves for the run that he's on. You just have to look at the names that he's put away. And, uh, He's been up there against the best of the division and he's been he's been dealing with them in dominant fashion. You know, there's been no close decisions in these fights. He has been, by some distance, the better fighter in all of his fights uh, running through this. And um, I think the situation now is this fight, if, if, if Kamara Usman wins this fight, then I think hopefully he will get the plaudits he deserves. I've already submitted my prediction for MMA Junkie and I've gone with Jorge Masvidal because 
I just think Hoy Masvidal has more ways to win. I think he's I think he's more experienced. I think that he's got that as you said he's got that little it factor. He's got the he's got the hot hand coming into this, which sounds ridiculous when you're going in against a guy who hasn't lost him forever. But I just think that when it comes to overall momentum and there just seems to be a little bit more with 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 Hoy Masvidal. I've picked him it is a gimme fight. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of value if you're betting. Uh, there is a lot of value on on Jorge Masvidal, and there's a lot of value on Jorge Masvidal winning by stoppage, um, via strike. So like a TKO finish, you'll get decent odds on a TKO finish by by Jorge Masvidal if you fancy a bet. Um, the smart money will be on Usman. The sensible money will be on Usman. Um, but I I think. I tend to I well I've picked him. I'm going with I'm going with Hoy Masvidal. It's going to be a hell of a fight. An absolute a brilliant fight. On Usman though, his performance against Colby Covington at UFC 245 uh was outstanding. Uh and I but the way that that fight panned out I think may potentially prove to be his downfall against Masvidal. If he decides to stand and trade with Masvidal in the same way that he decided to stand and trade with Colby, then I think things are going to go go very wrong for him. I think he needs to go back to his wrestling. Um, but, as you said, Masvidal is no slouch. He's been training at ATT since forever. He's been working with some really, really strong wrestlers over the course of the last decade, really. Um, so it's not like he's having to learn wrestling on, on, on the hoof. He's got all of that in the locker um and yeah he's been taken down a few times but he knows how to get up and he knows how to finish people um and he seems to have overcome the problem that he had i remember talking years ago uh when i did a podcast at the daily mirror i remember talking to my colleague then dan ferdinand and we were saying that masvidal was the most frustrating fighter in the ufc because he had everything he needed to be a world champion except for something in his head there was some there was some sort of mental block He'd get himself ahead on the scorecards and then he'd take his foot off the gas. And the amount of decisions he lost through doing that was just heartbreaking to see when you got a guy with that much talent and he just wouldn't quite, he couldn't, he almost couldn't get past himself. Now he seems to have well and truly fixed that problem. And now we're going to see just how good he really is against Kamaru Wisman, who I think right now is the best 170 pounder in the world. I know he's got the belt, it's an easy thing to say, but I think he is. So that's going to be an absolute banger of a fight um, and uh, kicks off a huge card at UFC 251. But that's not the only title fight on the card, card, Sandy. We've got two more superb title fights coming up. We do. Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway, the rematch. They're going to run it back for the UFC featherweight championship. And we've also got Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo to declare a brand new UFC bantamweight champion uh let's start with the the, the co-main event simon um volkanovsky versus max holloway now we've only ever had four champions in the ufc featherweight division jose aldo conor mcgregor max holloway and now alexander volkanovsky uh they fought for the very first time on the 14th of december of 2019 and on that day it was a unanimous decision victory for alexander volkanovsky and there was no dispute in it. It wasn't a controversial decision. Uh, it was a fairly one-sided fight, to be fair. And I felt felt like it was um, a bit of a turning point. I feel I feel like the last couple of years, 
You know, Max Holloway having flirted, you know, with the with the lightweight division, you know, stepping up to fight Dustin Poirier for the interim lightweight title, and then having to come back down to featherweight. I feel like he's just in that kind of crossroads now, in terms of how much of a weight cut his body can handle. Um, we'll get into some, you know, early predictions for that one as well. But I feel like if Max doesn't get the win this weekend, that'll probably be the end of his run at 145 pounds and. And if that's what happens, and if he doesn't get the victory on Saturday night, it, I think it would probably be best advised for to take some solid time out and really develop his body for 155 pounds. Because I think the last time he didn't do himself justice in the, in the Dustin Poirier fight, it was just a case of not cutting weight. Um, and I felt like he, he could probably pack on a bit of muscle and then cut some weight to make 155 pounds and be uh, a bit more of a, a help just fight a bit more healthier at that weight class with a bit more endurance and a bit more kind of uh, bit, a few more kind of weapons in his arsenal um and that being said man Alexander Volkanovsky you know just to kind of tie tie this back to the main event actually here's a bit of a interesting stat for you Simon Kamar Usman and Alexander Volkanovsky both have one loss on their record their respective records and those losses both occurred on the exact same date on the 10th of May 2013 while they were working their way up the regional circuit on two separate parts of the world. For Alexander Volkanovsky, he lost to a chap called Corey Nelson uh, fighting for Australian Fighting Championship in Melbourne, Australia. And on that same day, on the other side of the world, Kamar Usman lost to Jose Caceres for CFA and uh, it's just crazy to me that these things, you know, can happen. Um, and it's just bizarre that, that since then they've both gone on these incredible runs. And uh, yeah, they're going to see if they can kind of continue this this winning streak that they're both on. So um, yeah, interesting, fascinating stuff. And I can't wait to see what happens. But going back to the actual um, co-main event, mate, this is a banger. I can't wait. Again, like I said, this whole card is absolutely stacked. And I can't wait to see what happens. But it's going to be a tough one for Max. Yeah, and do you want to know another happy coincidence with all that? They both fought at 170 pounds. How about that? That was a welterweight fight for Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, and of course, now he's the 145 pound UFC champion of the world. I'm fascinated by this fight. I've, I've been high on Volkanovsky ever since uh, I first saw him step into the UFC. He looked... He looked like someone who was capable of moving up through the field and, and challenging. Because uh, you don't know until they go in there against against really sort of tough opposition. And when he got past Darren Elkins, when he out-toughed Darren Elkins, I think that's when everyone started to wake up. I think, okay, this guy might do something. And then he, he put Chad Mendes away um, in the sort of fashion that Chad Mendes usually puts people away. And so he Chad Mendes, Chad Mendes... Um, back at UFC 232. Um, and uh, he was there at that point. You know, he beats Jose Aldo, then beats Max Holloway. And as as, as you said, it wasn't it wasn't a really sort of sort of coin flip decision. He won that fight relatively relatively cleanly, I think. Um, and uh, that's why I think the fascinating story going into this is what changes has Max Holloway made. I mean, if you're going into a fight against a guy who beat you, not convincingly, but clearly, uh, first time around, you're going to want to go in there after a full training camp, after you've addressed some differences in your game, some holes in your game, and you want to come in there uh, 
a refreshed, improved, evolved version of the guy that you face first time round. But we're living in the middle of a pandemic. So I don't really know what opportunity Max has had to really address everything that he maybe needed to in order to get ahead of uh, Alex Volkanovsky, who, for me, I think he, he has everything there to be a dominant champion at 145 pounds. He can bang, he can wrestle, he's got outstanding cardio, and he's as tough as a $2 steak. So he's got a bit of everything um, to uh, to make it through. He's so strong at the weight class as well. I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier about him fighting at 170. He played rugby at over 200 pounds, um, and now he's he's fighting at 170. He's used to he's used to moving larger larger bodies around. He's used to dealing with that. Um, so I don't know quite what we're going to see from Max Holloway. I love his video blogs. I don't know if you've been checking out his video blogs. The one I just watched one this morning of uh, him and him and mini blessed driving around trying to find the KFC donut sandwich, <laughs> which was absolute gold. Um, thoroughly, enjoy, thoroughly enjoyed watching that. Um, but he's, he's a great character. I don't know anyone who doesn't like Max Holloway, but I do fear that maybe Alexander Volk- Volkanovsky has his number. Um, and I, I tend to agree with you that Holloway's long-term future, I think lies at 155 pounds. And I think he's going to need, maybe six to 12 months to get his body into the sort of shape that he can get in there and not get broken down by your Dustin Poiriers and people like that. And then I think once he's physically ready for 55, I think he'll be a contender, no doubt about it. He's got the game to do it. Um, But Volkanovski, and I'm kind of giving away my pick here, but I think he's, it's very hard to back the guy who, or back against the guy who won the first fight. I think, uh, especially under the circumstances, I'm not sure how Holloway is going to beat him unless something something happens to uh, Volkanovski during the fight. So I'm picking the Aussie for this one. Yeah, and before I give my pick, just to quickly correct myself, I said that Kamaru Usman and Alexander Volkanovski lost on the same day. It's not the same day, it's the same month, but those losses occurred about 10, 10 11 days apart. But it's still incredible. May 2013, they both suffered their only loss, and since then they've won these incredible runs. Right, the pick... I'm with you, mate. Alexander Volkanovsky is, is is who I'm going for. If Max Holloway, I tell you what, if Max Holloway wins, then I think things set up nicely for a trilogy fight because then it's one and one, right? And again, when you just look at the featherweight division and how many champions we've had, we've only had, ever had four. But let me throw a question back at you now, Simon. If Alexander Volkanovsky beats Max Holloway, does that change anything for you when, when you when you think about the greatest featherweight in UFC history, right? There's only four contenders there for that. You've got Jose Aldo, you've got Conor McGregor, Max Holloway, and Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky would have two wins over Max and a win over Jose Aldo, right? Conor's got the win over Max and Jose Aldo. Max has got two wins over Jose Aldo, right? So... How how would you frame things and just just out of curiosity, who would your pick be for for the greatest featherweight in UFC history if if Volkanovski wins on the weekend? It's it really depends on your definition, and you caught me on the hot with this because here's the thing: the the one common denominator that you've thrown in there is they've all beaten Jose Aldo, but Jose Aldo's resume as a UFC featherweight champion absolutely stands head and shoulders above all the rest of them. Conor McGregor didn't defend his belt and got stripped. Max Holloway has defended his belt a couple of times 
and lost. Uh, and uh, Alexander Volkanovsky's only just got the belt. So in terms of the greatest champion, if we're talking the greatest champion, despite the fact that all the other champs have beaten him, it's Jose Aldo. He had that run. He was the featherweight champion from WEC. Um, he then, when they when they uh, got absorbed by the UFC, they made him the featherweight champion uh, by default. He then beat Mark Hominick on his debut on that huge show in Toronto, Canada. And he went on a huge run. Um, so I think if you're talking, if you're grading a champion, if you're grading a champion, you grade them by what they did as a champion. And as a champion, Jose Aldo's achievements sit over and above everybody else. If you're grading him as a fighter, then you've got a different conversation. But I think if you're talking about the greatest featherweight champion in UFC history, that's Jose Aldo right now. Even though people might go, that's nuts because he's lost to all the other guys on the list or most of the other guys on the list. That's just how I view it. It's what you do when you've got the belt. And Jose Aldo did more with the belt than any other champion in UFC featherweight history. And I think he's fifth all time for title defenses in the UFC. So I don't have the list in front of me, but I'm guessing George St. Pierre, John Jones, uh, crikey, who else we've got? Anderson Silva. Um, and uh, Amanda Nunes is probably above above that now as well. So, oh, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. So, so there you go. So that's the kind of company he's keeping in terms of his ability as a champion. So as champ, It'd be Jose. I'm with you, Simon. It's Jose for me too. That being said, Alexander Volkanovsky has got an opportunity. If he wins this weekend and he goes on his legendary run over the next couple of years, just look at the, the list of contenders just, just in that top five, top six in the, in the UFC featherweight division. You've got Brian Ortega. You've got Zabit Magomed Sheremov. You've got Yair Rodriguez. You've got the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Young. You've got Calvin Kata. Like, if he can defeat all those guys, and, and he's been very outspoken, and he said, hey, look, I want to be a defending champion. As a champion, I'm not going to wait for, for, for guys to call me out. I'm actually going to cherry pick and call the guys out. Like, whoever's next in line, let's get it on, right? And if he can put together a legendary run, given the fact that he's already got a win over Jose Aldo, and if he gets two wins over Max Holloway, then we can have a really interesting conversation about considering Alex as the greatest featherweight of all time. Obviously, a lot to, to do until uh, that conversation even you know, becomes a reality. Uh, and he has to get a job done on, on the weekend against Max Holloway. But yeah, in terms of the greatest featherweight of all time, it's still Jose for me, the king of Rio. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you said there is, is really interesting. And that is something that we haven't really seen that much of due to fighter inactivity or you know, belts being changed around like hot potatoes. But what we haven't had for a while is a UFC champion who is fighting regularly and defending his belt regularly. The champions, they tend to win their belt and then all of a sudden they seem to drop to fighting like twice a year. Um, so we, we aren't getting that constant narrative. We don't have... Probably Amanda Nunes is the only one who is fighting at some sort of frequency and he's just racking up those title defences. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky could be the guy to do that. I think he's the sort of guy who would enjoy competing three or four times a year, putting his belt on the line, travelling around the world potentially, doing a few title fights back home in Australia, doing some title fights over in the States, maybe going down to Brazil, 
doing a title defence in Brazil, wherever it might be, I think I think that sort of thing would appeal to him. And I think he could become kind of sort of the champion's champion, really, you know, going around and and fighting regularly, defending his belt. And every single one of those fights, you listed the names there in that featherweight division. Um, every single one of those fights is an absolute cracker. So it's not like we're going to have a situation where he's cleaned out the division in two fights time. There's a absolute murderous row of contenders that he can take on. Um, so whoever wins this belt is going to have no shortage of, uh, of challenges sort of knocking on their door. Um, and if it's Alexander Volkanovsky, then uh, I think, I think that could be very, very exciting for him. Um, whether it goes back end of 2020 or into 2021, when hopefully international travel and all of that might hopefully start to get a little bit easier. But uh, speaking of international travel, we've got two guys who um, have flown down to Abu Dhabi who are going for a vacant title, uh, a battle of a battle of generations almost. You know, the aforementioned Jose Aldo, the greatest featherweight champion in UFC history as anointed by the Brit Pack, um, but a legend in the sport of mixed martial arts. He's now competing at bantamweight. And I remember when he first said he was going to compete at bantamweight, Almost everyone in the media thought he was absolutely out of his mind. I remember seeing him um, during a, a Vegas fight week and he turned up for media day and he had a hood on and he looked a bit like Emperor Palpatine from, from Star Wars. He, all the blood had drained from his body. He looked absolutely awful and there was no way he was going to win. And he went in there and he fought Marlon Marais and he lost a split decision. I thought he won the fight. Dana White thought he won the fight and he's treated him as if he won the fight ever since. But he's taking on an absolute killer. P.D. Yan, I've been following P.D. Yan's career um, since ACB 32. That was the first time I watched him fight, um, where he fought a guy called Magomed Magomedov. So good they named him twice. Um, and he got absolutely stitched up in that fight. There was no doubt about it. Go back and watch the fight. It is on YouTube. Magomed Magomedov was 11-0, undefeated. Yan was something like 6-0 and at the time. And uh, Magomedov was the golden boy of, of Sambo for for the bantamweight division. And uh, Yan beat him up for large portions of the fight. It was a competitive fight. He beat him up for large portions of the fight. He was almost certainly ahead on all three scorecards until the last 10, 15 seconds of the fight where there was an inadvertent clash of heads. And the referee gave Yan a yellow card with like 10 or 15 seconds of the fight left. It might even be less than that. Gave him a yellow card. That's a point deduction. Yan lost a split decision. Absolute banditry. There was no way he lost that fight. It took him a year. He beat Ed Arthur. Longtime UK MMA fans will be aware of Ed Arthur, former Bama, Bama star. He beat Ed Arthur. Then he got a rematch with Magomed Magomedov a year later. He beat him in the rematch, gave Magomedov his first and still only defeat um, as a professional. And then he went on, defended his belt, took the undefeated record of a, of a Brazilian contender um, and then ended up in the UFC and he hasn't lost since. I think Peter Yan is a superstar in the making. He's got the great fighting. He's got great fighting style and um, the way he put away Uriah Faber last time out told me that he's ready. And uh, this is going to be an absolutely brilliant fight. We talked about fights of the year last uh, last show. This might be on the list by the time we sit down next week. 
Yeah, we were just talking about Jose Aldo being our pick for the greatest featherweight of all time. And he's got one loss on his bantamweight record and he's got a title shot, Simon. Bit of a yep. weird one, isn't it? Just a bit. Um, yeah, um, no all, wins we all, either. Yeah, we, we all know why he's got this opportunity. It's his name value, right? If, if, we, if, we, if the UFC had just given the opportunity to someone based on meritocracy, it would have been someone like a, an Aljamain Sterling, for example, right? Who, I've, who I feel like the general consensus now is, is regardless of who wins this fight, Aljo will be next in line to fight for the title anyway. Um, but Jose Aldo is only 33 years old. How about that one? It's, it's funny because we were talking about his legendary run as a featherweight through the WEC and the, and the UFC as well. He's been fighting at the very highest level from a very young age, right? And it's not as if he's clocked up so many fights. He's not like a you know, Jorge Masdal who's going to get his UFC title fight on his 49th professional fight. For, the, for, for his age, he's actually not fought as frequent as you, may, as you may think. He's only fought, like, I think, eight times since 2015, right? Um, and so it's interesting to see, you know, what he looks like, how he performs. Uh, hopefully he makes weight. Obviously he made weight the first time. But again, every the older you get, it always gets a little bit tougher. So interesting to see, you know, what he looks like, if he actually makes the weight. This is probably the easiest fight of the three title fights to pick uh, in terms of a making a prediction. I'm, I'm picking Peter Yan here. Like you said, you know, apart from that robbery he had back in the day against Magomed Magomedov, he should be an undefeated fighter right now. And his, and his run since entering the UFC has been phenomenal. Some of the names he's beaten, Uriah Faber, Jimmy Rivera, John Dodson. And I feel like, like, and I agree with you, he is the future of this division. He is someone that the UFC can get behind and build into a star, especially in that Russian market. We've, you know, we've seen how big Khabib has, has become, and he's not technically, quote-unquote, Russian-Russian. He's from Dagestan, which is kind of almost like its own little territory, own little uh, province and district of southern Russia, right? But Peter Yans, as, he's like your atypical Russian, you know what I mean? He's, he's from um, a place called Yekaterinburg, Russia, um, and don't ask me uh, to pronounce that again. Yekaterinburg. Um, there you go. Um, See so yeah, that fight, you know, two, you know, five times twice or five times fast twice. Um, he he he, t he t trains out of uh, Thailand, which is interesting because I think that's an area of the world that's been predominantly uh, ineffected um, or unaffected rather from COVID nineteen. I've been um, following Brendan Lochnane, um, a fellow Brit who's been posted up in Thailand, and he was essentially meant to make his um, league debut for the PFL this year before they had to kind of close down the season. So he was already in camp, and since this whole thing went down, he just kind of stayed out there. Um, and yeah, they've been fine. Thailand hasn't really had a, a major breakout or issue. So Peter Yan should be in phenomenal shape, uh, had training partners, had facilities, probably not had a situation you know where other fighters, especially... Uh, Jose Aldo training in Brazil where it's been really, really bad, right? So I don't know what his training and preparation has been coming into this fight either. Um, but yeah, I mean, Peter Yan, this should be a slam dunk win for him, to be honest with you. Again, the only thing that's a little bit unfortunate is the, the, the circumstances of why Jose Aldo has actually got this fight. Even though we all can potentially agree that, yes, he did enough to actually get the nod against Marlon Moraes, 
the three people that mattered the most didn't score the fight in his favor. So it, it, we kind of get into murky waters here, you know, and like this has now set a precedent, basically. This is this is the precedent for fighters going up and down in weight class and they've got no wins on their record in said weight class, but they've got a loss, but they still get a title fight. You know, this is going to be the, the example that you can lean on. Oh, Jose Aldo got a title fight. Why? Because he's a name. Because he's a former champion in, 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 a, in a different weight class. And because when you look at the overall picture, he's still like one of the biggest names the UFC has for the Brazilian market, which is a very, very important market for them as well. It's almost like a clash of markets, isn't it? The Russian market's important to the UFC. The Brazilian market's important to the UFC. But... I just, I just don't see any kind of path to victory for Jose Aldo. And I tell you what, if he does pull it off, it will be one of the, the, the shocks of the year. It will be one of the upsets of the year. But I fancy Peter Yan to get the business done and, and get it done in, in the distance, actually. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty high on Peter Yan. I think I think if Jose Aldo comes comes ready to go, I think I think this could be an absolute cracker of a fight because Jose, when he's on his game and he's, he's firing with his striking... He is as he's still as good as anything out there. Um, but the point you made about him actually getting this title shot is really the whole the whole situation over that is ludicrous. I mean, it's not like they've parachuted him into an ailing division and there's no contenders. Bantamweight arguably is the deepest division in the UFC for for new contenders right now. I mean, they are absolutely chock full of exciting contenders you've got former champions looking to work their way back you've got exciting contenders looking to get their title shot and then out of nowhere this aging former champion who's lost four out of his last six fights is now been brought in and he's fighting for the belt on paper it's nuts it shouldn't be happening um and i say that with all all due respect to aldo for everything he's done in the game but he's done nothing at 135 pounds except for lose a decision to Marlon Moraes. If that was a title fight, the UFC couldn't just turn around and say, sorry, Marlon, we thought you lost that. We're going to give the belt to Jose. Borderline, that's what they've done. You know, they've, they've, it's the neck, it's one grade down from that. They've said, you can't have the title shot. You know, we're going to give it to Jose. And Jose's been inserted into the UFC bantamweight rankings by persons unknown at number six how you can justify him being on the list right now i don't understand because he hasn't won a fight in the weight class so i genuinely don't get it i genuinely don't get it but this is the fight we have it's gonna be a good fight i think ptm wins this fight um from a divisional standpoint i think it would be better for the division if ptm wins this fight because then the division starts to settle into a pattern. Yan's ranked third right now. Um, he gets the belt. He sits at the top of the rankings. And then you've got Marais is ranked number one. Uh, Sterling is ranked number two. It really needs to be one of those two. Um, based on recent activity, you go Aljamain Sterling. So um, I think I think then the division can sort of move on. If Jose Aldo wins the belt, then that kind of justifies the whole the whole move in the first place. And I think that sets, as you suggested, a bit of a dodgy precedent. This is this is the sort of thing that you would expect from some sort of uh, backwater promotion or some promotion run by uh, some some sort of overarching overlord who has his favourite fighter and. He didn't win, right, so we're going to order a recount on the scorecards or we're going to do a rematch because we didn't like that result. This is sport. 
we've got human two human beings are in there fighting and three human beings are scoring it so that's how it has to be and the result is the result you can disagree with it as much as you like um and but you've got to go with the results otherwise really what's the point so the fact that it's aldo is ludicrous but we're going to get a good fight out of it and hopefully the bantamweight division can move on but three great title fights here's a question i, I, I well we've I, I suppose we've kind of answered it i was going to say how many times are we going to hear and new i asked this on spinning back click this week on junkie so do you th- obviously we're going to get one and new <laughs> i was about to say the right? guaranteed one one time, is guaranteed, guaranteed one. but it's are we going to get any uh, are we going to get two or are we going to get three i think we're both agreeing on two aren't we because we're going for uh, Masvidal to dethrone Usman, but for Volkanovski to retain, would that be right? We're on the same page there, Simon. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so it's gonna, we think Bruce is going to go and you twice on Saturday night. Let's have a quick look at the rest of the card because, yeah, we've got the three title fights, which means it's going to be a long night potentially. Three five round title fights. So get the coffee in wherever you are watching it. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be a long one, but it should be plenty, plenty going on to keep you, uh, keep you awake. But the rest of that fight card, Sandu, we've got some other good fights on that card. Run us, run us through what we've got, and uh, we'll try and we'll try and quickly piece those together as we go. Yeah, so this kind of rounds out the main card. We've got Jessica Andrade versus Rose Namajunas, uh, both former strawweight champions, and then we've got Amanda Rebas versus Paige Van Zandt. Well, let's just start with Andrade versus Rose Namajunas, Sai. This is Rose's first fight since the loss to Andrade uh, in May of 2019, so just a little over a year ago. Um, interesting that she hasn't fought since then. Uh, normally, you know, we've spoken to so many fighters in the past, and, and typically they, they want to kind of get back in there as soon as possible just to kind of get back in the win column and start to feel good about themselves and not, not kind of get too hung up on that loss. Um, but as we know, Rose Namajunas has a very interesting and unique character, you know, character to herself and personality, and so I don't get the sense from just seeing her on social media that she's actually um, been affected too much or impacted too much by losing the title to Andrade a year ago. And in fact, when you listen to some of the, the comments that she's made in, in various interviews, it was almost like a blessing in disguise. I don't feel like she enjoyed being the championship and what came with. I feel, I feel like she you know, enjoyed being the champion, but not what came with that. The, you know, the, the demands that you have, the way people treat you, the pe- pe- the way people look at you. And it's almost like you're a, you're a dancing monkey. And the minute, you know, you become champion, they expect you to do X, Y, and Z, you know, on their command. So she's had over a year out. Uh, I'm curious to see what she looks like in, in 2020 and whether she's leveled up. And, and I'm sure, obviously, you know, the competitor in her definitely wants to get that win back uh, against Jessica Andrade. And for Andrade, again, interesting situation here. Uh, this is her first fight since losing the belt to, to Zhang Weili uh, last August. So she's also coming off a loss. Uh, you know, these are two of the best in, in the strawweight division. I'm curious to see, you know, what she looks like in, in this contest. It's an important one. It's, a, it's an important one because, you know, the strawweight division, when you look at it, you've got... These two obviously, you know, fighting uh, this weekend. You've got Zhang Weili, who's a champion. You've got Tatiana Suarez, who's who's always in the mix. People are kind of really big on her in terms of potentially being a future champion. And then you've got Joanna Jacek, who's just fought Zhang Weili. And people want to see that them run it back at some point down the road as well. 
you can make a pretty good argument that if uh, if Rose Namajunas wins this fight, that there could be an opportunity for her to fight Zhang Weili uh, at some point, maybe uh, later on this year. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see why you wouldn't put that fight together. It, it makes all the sense in the world. It's a fresh matchup uh, for Zhang Weili. Uh, you know, former champion coming back to to try and reclaim that title. I'm I'm very excited about this fight. Um, this, there's a lot of questions that we don't have the answers to, and it's a very pivotal moment for both women in that weight class. I yeah, definitely, and uh, it's I think it is a basically a title eliminator. I don't know how quickly the UFC want to throw Yuani and Jacek back in there. I mean, if you remember how she came out of that fight with uh, with Zhang Weili? She was she was busted up. Her head was about twice the size it was before she started the fight, um, and uh, it was a hell of a fight. Well, fight of the year in many people's eyes. Um, I think we're going to want to see that fight again at some point down the line. But Yuani and Jechik can't keep having these wars every time she gets in the cage. I think she needs some some off time to rest up. Um, she might disagree with that, but I, that's I think what's best for her career wise. And uh, this is a really interesting one. The thing that makes this particularly interesting for me is, to all intents and purposes, this should be a five-round fight. You know, it's it's a it's a main event quality fight, I believe. But it's going to be three rounds, and what that that first round is absolutely crucial. So they're going to have to come flying out the traps to make sure they get that first round in the bank. There's no time for feeling each other out and and just sort of easing your way into a five rounder it's three rounds you can't afford to let that first that first round slip away um so that's gonna be really interesting to see how that how those opening exchanges go uh for Rose Namajunas I mean the way that she lost that fight she was knocked out um she was going for an arm bar and she just got picked up and slammed but she made the same mistake in that fight twice and she didn't get punished the first time she made the same mistake again and then she got punished with the with with the slam knockout. I think she'll look back at that, um, and she'll look at the rest of the fight and think, "Do you know what? I was doing okay in that fight up until that point. I was winning the striking, um, and it was only really when uh, I ended up on the mat and I tried to I tried to be a bit cute on the mat. I gave Andrade the opportunity to to use what she has, which is her power. She you know she's she's tiny." But she's a little pocket rocket. She's so powerful for for the uh, for the weight class. She almost gave Andrade the opportunity there. So I think Rose will probably look at that and go, I, I basically helped give her the win in that fight. Um, and I think if she closes that loophole, I think she'll be very, very confident of victory on Saturday night. As for Jessica Andrade, I mean, she, you know, she wants to get back in there with Zhang Weili. She needs another decisive win over Rose. If she gets it, She's right back in that conversation as well. Um, and maybe, you know, a, re- a rematch with Joanna as well. She's faced Joanna in the past. Um, that's not a terrible matchup for some point further down the line. You know, she went the distance with Joanna back in 2017. Um, who knows? That might be a potential matchup at some point. Well, win or lose. If Rose ends up winning and goes straight onto a title shot, we could see Joanna and um, and Jessica go go head-to-head for the next shot. But... The strawweight division is getting quite interesting now. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got Tatiana Suarez, as you mentioned, who brings a completely different type of a uh, challenge into the mix. She's she's almost like a female Khabib in that respect. She takes you down, you don't get up again. Um, and that's a completely different kind of challenge. But strawweight division is getting super interesting and uh, that fight is going to be great. But um, 
before we even get to that fight, we've got another superb matchup at the start of that main card, Sandu. Yes, Amanda Rebass versus Paige Van Zandt. And a lot of people are very, very high on Amanda Rebass. feel like she could be the, the, the future, uh, whether that's the flyweight division, this is being contested at flyweight, or maybe even the strawweight division. It remains to be seen where she ultimately settles long-term in terms of uh, division. She's currently ranked in the strawweight division, unranked in the flyweight division, obviously, because she hasn't fought there before. Uh, but uh, a win over Paige Van Zandt, and then we'll see what happens. But the story of this fight really is about Paige Van Zandt, Simon. Uh, this is going to be the last fight on her contract. Uh, she's pretty much been very open in saying that she's going to explore free agency. And I guess the general consensus is, is this is the last time we're going to see her fight in the UFC. Her husband, um, Austin Vanderfort, uh, is a, a Bellator fighter. They have a very close relationship. Um, and it, it appears as though that long term, she's probably going to end up in Bellator. That's what my gut says, I'm sure that's what your gut says, unless, you know, she pulls off a win and the UFC do a, a U-turn and, and offer her what she wants. And we don't really get to see this that often, Simon, where there's a fighter who really isn't dependent on the fight game for income. She's done a fantastic job, and I know she gets a lot of stick from, from, from people, and from fans, with how she conducts herself and, you know, her social media posts and, and all the rest of it. But look, when you think about the opportunities that she's got in part in part from being in the UFC and the platform that being a fighter in the UFC has given her but at the same time the platform she's given herself just with regards to how she's put herself out there in the world through social media she had that gig on dancing with the stars which is a big big show in America and from from everything that she said she made more money on that stint on dancing with the stars compared to all the the show and win money she's ever made plus sponsorship in the UFC combined together, which tells you something, right? And then when you think about her massive social media following and how much she gets paid for sponsored posts and for ads, she doesn't need to to fight, but she's a competitor. She's an athlete and she is a fighter. And you know what? She's pretty good. She's, she's fallen short against the absolute elite of the division, right? But she can hold her own. When you think about the fighters that she's lost to, right? Rose Namajunas, former champion michelle watson not not a former champion in the ufc but pretty much right there up in the mix right so if this is the last time that we'll see Paige van zandt in the ufc i think we'll miss her i think she definitely moves the needle and brings a demographic and a, and a fan base into the sport and to the ufc and definitely brings eyeballs in that's why she's on the main card simon right um and i i, I got absolutely no problem with the way she's conducted herself at all more power to her and like I said, we don't really see uh, fighters explore free agency, but she's got something going for her where she's not completely dependent on the income from the UFC. So she's able to actually see her contract out, see what she's worth. And yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what eventually happens. Everything seems to indicate and point towards the fact that she will probably end up in Bellator because her husband's there. And given the fact that she's going to go on, you know, through the free agency process, Bellator will probably throw a lot of money at her because you know what? She'll be a hell of an acquisition for Bellator, especially when they come back. They're going to need to go guns are blazing and, and really kind of put their best foot you know, forward to try and um, reestablish themselves because they've been quiet while the UFC has been putting on event after event during this pandemic. So very interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, look, going to be a tough fight for her, not going to lie. I'm picking Amanda Rebass to win. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll just see what happens with Paige Van Zandt in the aftermath, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think we're going to miss Paige Van Zandt because I don't think she's going to disappear from the uh, disappear from the MMA bubble. I think she will still be around and about in one way or another. I think the Bellator thing makes the most sense on paper. I mean, that's where uh, that's that, that's where our other half is fighting. They've got the relationship with Bellator is obviously owned by uh, Viacom CBS. Um, there is an obvious ability to cross over into television projects there um there's a i think i think there's a, a wider contract that could be negotiated there whereby she doesn't have to compete quite so often she can just be used almost as like showcase talent bring her in for the occasional the occasional big card but basically use use her on tv programming um you know like um on wwe they do like total divas and stuff like that you could almost imagine uh, a CBS Viacom Paige Van Zant show along similar lines, um, and then maybe once, twice a year, you put her on a big card, and then that's part of the whole the whole package. Don't rule out one championship though, because one championship they're getting back on their feet. They've absolutely decimated their staff, which is incredible to think of really they've they've cut 20 percent of their staff like that uh and some friends of friends of mine have, have lost their jobs as a result um which is absolutely horrible to see at this time of year but as a promotion they're actually getting a lot of investment and they're, and they're growing and and they seem to be doing a lot of good things aside from what's happened to members of their staff and they're still looking to hire more fighters. They're still looking to grow their roster. Paige Van Zandt could slot in very nicely into that one championship roster. The atom weight division in one championship um, is effectively the straw weight division everywhere else. So basically, when you hear a weight class in one championship, think the weight class above it in reality because of the way that they do the weight cutting and everything. Well, well, well they don't do weight cutting, so... The 115-pound women's division is the atom weight division. The 125-pound division is the straw weight division. So that's kind of how that works. Um, so what you've got, you've got a situation where Paige Van Zandt could step in there and potentially fight uh, one of their big stars, whether it's Zhang Jing Nan, who is the straw weight champion, or the 125 champion, or if she could cut a little bit of weight, she could end up fighting Angela Lee. Paige Van Zandt versus Angela Lee would be blockbuster numbers uh, for for one championship. A um, billion viewers are uh, probably they could get right, Simon. A billion well, viewers worldwide. Mul- multiple, it's, <laughs> it, it's multiple billions, and it's potential viewers. It's always potential, yeah. which I've never understood. Like a potential viewer is like a person with two eyes and a pulse, or one eye and a pulse, <laughs> and access to a television. Right. So, like that's that that's the whole planet. So I don't know why they're keeping the numbers so low, but we probably but, have six billion potential listeners to this show, Simon. That's what we should do. We should put that on our on, on our <laughs> podcast description. Six billion potential listeners, more like six. But <laughs> but but no, all, all kidding us. I mean, like Paige Ranzant has options, and I tend to think if you can make the majority of your money without getting punched in the head, then that's got to be the preferable route. But she clearly loves martial arts, right? She clearly loves competing. And she's not somebody who's just in there to get famous through fighting. When you see her fight, she I, I watched that um, Rose Namajunas fight. I was cage-side for that fight. 
and she got absolutely busted up by by Rose Namajunas. She was a bloody mess through that fight, and she just would not quit. I mean, eventually, eventually, she was left with no option whatsoever. But like Rose Namajunas had to really, really go for it to to uh, to finally get the win in that fight. She is a tough cookie, Paige Van Zandt, and uh, I think she'll probably still want to compete. So. I think the Bellator route makes a lot of sense for her. So it will be, be very interesting to see what she does. But is she going to come out of it with a win? I tend to I tend to think not. Amanda, Amanda Hibas, she is 3-0 in the UFC, all at straw weight. Uh, uh, Emily Whitmire, Mackenzie Dern, and Randa Marcos. Um, that's three solid names to kick off your UFC career. And um, I, think, I, think, uh, I think we're going to start to see more of her working away. I, I would assume she'll go back to 115 after this fight. I think this is just a, a, a fight of convenience, if you like. Fight at 125, no weight cut, nice and easy. Take on a name, build your reputation. Paige is leaving, you're staying, and then go back to straw weight and you know, you'll know you go back into that division with a bit more a bit more of a profile. So that's kind of how I see that one. I think Amanda Hibas will get the win. and uh, But... It it kicks off a really really fun fight card at UFC 251, and uh, the only thing that's missing is the fact that we can't be there for it. This would have been an international fight week card. It would have been in Las Vegas under normal circumstances. We would have had all of the all of the uh, the fun and games of international fight week. We've both been fortunate enough to be over in Vegas for international fight week down the years, and and. Uh, it's a special thing. It's a special thing. It's great fun. And, uh, you know, before before we wrap up and finish, talk, chuck a few little stories from, from when we've been at International Fight Week. I mean, what was your what was your, your sort of main abiding memory of, of being over there for International Fight Week? Because it's a crazy time. It is. I've got, I've got a few, but I, I want to share one. And um, it's actually, I was a couple of years into kind of getting involved in the media and kind of covering the sport and just kind of, figuring it all out and kind of paying my dues so to speak and UFC 162 back in July of 2013 now this isn't an actual event or card or international fight week which I attended as a as a member of the media actually it was actually my stag do so I got married on July 10th in Hawaii and so what I wanted to do was have a stag do in Vegas, right? Um, with all you know, with all my friends and, and and what have you, and they literally fly straight from Vegas to Hawaii, and I, and it kind of checked a few boxes for me because I could first of all you know acclimatize, London to Vegas that's like eight hours, right? And then Vegas to Hawaii is I think another like five hours or something silly like that. So instead of doing one straight shot all the way to Hawaii and then try to be on point for my wedding and all the rest of it. I thought I'd spend a week in Vegas and then and then you know acclimatize and then and then go to Hawaii. But it ended up being fantastic because I didn't have to work. I could just enjoy the entire international fight week experience with my mates, some of who were MMA slash UFC fans, some who weren't. But I didn't have to worry about putting any work in. I could just rock up, enjoy a few uh, a few beers and a few alcoholic beverages and and just kind of get involved and uh, enjoy what international fight week gives you and the kind of the big lasting memory well there's that there's two actually and, and i'll share both of them with you in terms of the event itself obviously it's famous for 
the essentially the end of the Anderson Silva era. He's 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 clowning around in the octagon with Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman swings a punch and just completely knocks out Anderson Silva. We had never really seen Anderson Silva knocked out like that before. And I just remember looking around the arena, which Simon was literally filled. 50% Brazilian fans, 50% American fans. Obviously, it's July 4th week and International Fight Week and all the rest of it, right? We've got the All-American against the Brazilian superstar. I kid you not, I'm looking around and all these Brazilian fans I'm just in tears, like like tears streaming down their face. Anderson Silva was a god to them. And to see their guy lose in that fashion was completely heartbreaking for them. And on the flip side, all of these American fans were just so jubilant, just couldn't believe it that their guy, their, the All-American Chris Weidman, had to kind of shock the world. And so it was just an incredible scene, man. And, and it's, a, it's one of those experiences I'll, I'll never forget. You know, we've, we've, both, we've both been lucky to be um, at landmark and, you know, really uh, special events and moments in the sport. Some together, some separately. I've been to some where you've been at home and you've been to some when I've been at home. That one is one that will always stick with me. And that happened seven years ago. And the second part of that story is... Um, as I was leaving Vegas to go to Hawaii for my wedding, guess who I was in the uh, the airport lounge with? Guess who I was with at the gate? And guess who I was sitting with on that flight to Hawaii? None other than the legend BJ Penn. It was it, it really made my entire trip because I ended up just chatting to him the entire time flying to Hawaii. He, he uh, I obviously told him I was going to get married there. He was so cool to chat to and hang out with. And uh, he helped me out by you know, getting me connected to a few people that um, that kind of helped me out, gave me a few pointers um, in terms of what you know making the most out of my stay there in Hawaii. And uh, yeah, I'll just never forget it. It was just it was just honestly the perfect week, mate. It really was. Had my stag do with my friends. I, I can't think of anything better to do as a big you know UFC and MMA fan to kind of spend a week in Vegas during International Fight Week where I don't have to do any work. Number one, and I can actually enjoy. What Vegas gives you, as well as what the UFC and International Fight Week gives you. And then, yeah, I was kind of made that I had BJ Penn on my flight to Hawaii. And then, of course, the, the cherry on top was being able to actually get married and, uh, and and spend my honeymoon in Vegas. So, so yeah, so so that International Fight Week has, uh, has a lot of great memories for, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but that's my kind of uh, my, my story from memory lane on International Fight Week. That's that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I'll be honest. I my my first ever trip to the states was for International Fight Week back in 2015, UFC 189, Conor McGregor versus Chad Mendes. To this day, and all the events I've covered, I still think that the main card of that UFC 189 show is the best main card I've ever seen in person. Um, it was just nuts. The prelims that night were pretty pretty bad. It was it's pretty run of the mill stuff. Um, and then I think we had Matt Brown and Tim Means was the featured prelim. That was outstanding. And then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose on the main card. Uh, Las Vegas was green. Half of Ireland had showed up. That was that was nuts. But that wasn't my main abiding memory of International Fight Week. The following year will stick with me forever because that was the, the year where they held UFC 200. And UFC 200 had a massive build-up. They decided on International Fight Week they were going to do three events in three days, 
during International Fight Week. I have never been so knackered in my entire life. It was crazy. We had so that it's not just three fight nights, that's three sets of weigh-ins. You go interview best part of 60 fighters, right? It's absolutely crazy. Um and uh, the three fight nights were were long and crazy fight nights. But of course, the thing with UFC 200, that did not go according to plan by any stretch of the imagination. It was supposed to be John Jones versus Daniel Cormier for the UFC light heavyweight title. And uh, we'd done, I think we'd done media day or, or open workouts or I can't remember what it was, but we, I remember we were over at T-Mobile Arena and we'd just come out and uh, I was there with, with John Morgan from MMA Junkie and we were in, there's a bar just around a corner from T-Mobile called The Beer House. Very cool bar. And we're in there just getting some work done, having a cheeky beer while we're doing it and just, uh, you know, just sort of, taking a little bit of downtime almost between rushing between different things. And then we both received separate phone calls that we had to take outside of the room because no one else was supposed to know. And we were told you need to come to the MGM immediately, MGM grand immediately. And we sort of looked at each other having had our phone calls. Okay. We're both doing this, aren't we? We queued up outside this media room at the MGM grand. And there's probably about, a half a dozen to a dozen other people like Kevin Ioli was there and a couple of other guys. No one knew while, while we'd been asked there. And then the big doors, double doors cracked open and Dana White stuck his head through and went, any of you guys know why we're here? And we're like, no. And he was like, who thinks it's because the UFC has been sold? And then a few people put their hands up. Cause that was the rumor doing the rounds back then. And, um, he's like, the UFC hasn't been sold. And then just shut the door and disappeared. I was like, what's going on? What's going on? So we all get ushered in and we sit down at the table and we're there. We've got the, the dais is up in front of us. Dana comes up, sits down, doesn't go to the the uh, the mic, just sits down at the table. Like, this is weird. And then Jeff Nowitzki walks in and then everyone just went, oh, shit. Because as soon as Jeff turns up, he's like the he's like the dark cloud, the harbinger of doom. When Jeff turns up, it's normally because something bad's happened with the drug testing. And sure enough, John Jones had failed a drug test. And uh, everyone was absolutely stunned. The main event was going to be Brock Lesnar versus Mark Hunt. That was the announced main event at that point. That then subsequently got changed again to Amanda Nunes versus Misha Tate. But that whole week was nuts, mate, because we had, we had that announcement... And then we went on and tried to get on with our day, trying to react to all this craziness. And then we got another notification that John Jones was going to hold his own press conference on, I think it might have been the morning of the fights or the morning of the Friday, just before the weigh-ins. So we're like, what? like at half eight in the morning, he was holding a press conference. So we had to scrape ourselves out of bed, get down there, do the press conference. He just sat up on the stage and was crying his eyes out. He had his crisis manager PR person there. Um, the whole thing was just the single craziest fight week ever. We, th- we went through three main events in the space of two days. Um, and uh, we didn't know it at the time, but that main event turned out to be pretty historic because Amanda Nunes beats Misha Tate and hasn't lost since and is now the greatest fighter in uh, in women's MMA history. I think that's pretty much beyond dispute at this point. But that whole week... And with the three the three events in three days and all of that stuff thrown in, 
I was absolutely knackered. When I got when I got on the plane home, I don't normally sleep on planes. I slept every minute of that flight home. I was absolutely dead. But um I love I love stuff like this. I live I live for this. I miss this stuff and I can't wait to get back to it whenever the hell that's gonna be. I love the chaos. It means stuff's going on and uh to be in the thick of it like that, I there's there's literally nothing better. Mate, I can't wait until this is all over. Uh, first of all, thanks for sharing those stories. Fantastic. And honestly, I think between the two of us, we could probably do an entire pod just sharing stories from on the road and being at big events, uh, fight nights, pay-per-views, international fight week, you name it. Um, I miss it. I know you miss it. We both miss it. And I can't wait until we're back on the road. Hopefully, as opportunities present themselves. And I, and I really can't wait until we're both at an event together because it's been a while. I can't actually remember the last event that we were, to, we were together on. It might have been a fight night in Northern Ireland. Uh, I think the last pay-per-view for sure was 205 uh, when Connor beat Eddie out. Oh, actually, no, it was uh, Bisping. Bisping beating Henderson, wasn't it? That was yeah. the last pay-per-view that we were at. Yeah, I think, I think we've probably done a Bellator show since then, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the UFC. I think Belfast, Northern Ireland might have been our last one. Yeah, um, maybe. Because that was the last one of my newspaper gig. Yeah. Um, and obviously we had Bisping before that in in Manchester, which was nuts. Yep. That's a whole other story. Spending the whole yes. week, spending the whole week on US time in Manchester, that was weird. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, maybe we'll do that when we get a gap week. We'll just we'll just we'll just go through and maybe we'll pull out some some archive podcast audio as well because we've got it all. So that'd be uh, that'd be fun. So uh, yeah, maybe maybe when we got some gap weeks, not that we're going to get many between now and the rest of the year. The UFC we have got to, they've got to fulfil their 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 contract as best they can with ESPN for like was it like forty six shows a year or something they're doing some something crazy like that. And now it's flat out, and we've got the contender series kicking back in, so we're not going to have any shortage of fights to talk about. But this these these ones coming up this weekend are going to be are going to be outstanding, and that will just kick off. It's four event, fourteen day run on Fight Island, and uh, yeah, I cannot cannot wait. It's going to be good fun. Uh, Sandu, how can everyone get this podcast? Right. So, the the place that we really want everyone to go to is the Britpack.substack.com. Uh, and if you want a quick link, just go to Simon or my social media handles and uh, or the Britpack MMA on Twitter, and, and it will be there. Or just just Google the Britpack uh, and Substack. And it, and it should pop up. That's really where we want you guys to, to register um, and subscribe. Even if you're listening on, on other platforms, if you can drop a subscription to our Substack, that would be ace. That would be much appreciated. And then outside of that, wherever you're listening, if there's a if there's a way for you to drop a review, give a thumbs up, a like, whatever uh, system's in place, that would be fantastic. And for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, do give us a rating, do give us a review, because that really does help. Uh, push us up the algorithm and uh, and promote us on Apple. And um, outside of that, if you want to follow Simon, he's at Simon Head Sport on Instagram, at Simon Head on Twitter. I am at Sandu MMA on every social media platform. And yeah, I'm I'm buzzing. I can't wait till we catch up again in a week from now, where we'll be looking back on this weekend's action as well as previewing another Fire Island card. It's gonna be incredible. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be nuts, but it's uh, it's going to be one to definitely, definitely stock up on the coffee because uh, even if you're going to do what I do and have a tactical nap first, um, 
you're going to need the coffee because three title fights, we could potentially be going 25 minutes in all three of those fights. Um, it's entirely possible. So make sure you got the coffee or the Red Bull or whatever else it is you're using to stay up through these crazy late nights. Um, you'll be able to read my stuff on MMA Junkie, on RT Sport. Uh, I'm on BBC Sport Duty this weekend as well, so you'll you'll get my report on there on Sunday morning. So uh, yeah, we're doing we you know we're doing bits, we're keeping the wolf from the door and keeping the lights on. So it is all good, and uh, we will reconvene this chat after uh, after next weekend show, and we'll have we'll actually have two shows to preview on on next weekend show because we've got the midweek midweek event on the Wednesday, and then the fight fight night show on the Saturday as well. Lots of Brits getting involved as well. Very, very quickly, Danny Henry's taking on Mac Wanamekani this weekend. And also on the card is Dangerous Davy Grant, one of the unluckiest men in British MMA. He's had a terrible, terrible run of injuries. He's back. He opens the night against Martin Day on UFC Fight Pass. So make sure you get UFC Fight Pass up and running so you don't miss out on, uh, on Davy Grant in the first fight of the night. That is all we've got time for on a pretty packed edition of the Brit Pack this week. Uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy the fights, and we will be back to chat to you again in a week's time. <laughs>